0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Fintech Focus TV, powered by Harrington Star, the global leaders in financial technology recruitment. Head over to the Harrington Star website, where you'll be able to find all the latest jobs in financial technology across the globe. You'll also be able to download the latest issue of the Financial Technologist magazine, including the Top 1% Workplace Awards. Finally, if you're looking to grow your team, please get in touch. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fintech Focus TV with me, Toby Babb. I have been delighted and excited about this episode for some time. Um, ever since it sort of got put into my diary, it's something where I've been reading more and more about the business. Uh, it's with someone who I've known of for a long time. I've seen a, their story sort of check out. It's an exciting space to be in. Uh, and it's my absolute pleasure to introduce you all to uh, Phil Goffin from Zylo. Phil, how are you? Hi, Toby. Yeah, great. Thank you. Nice to Nice to be here. Likewise, likewise. So, listen. It's uh, as, as I said before, there's a lot to talk about today. Um, you're uh at a, at a time there we've just raised Series A, some good money from there from some great investors. Um, exciting time for you, exciting time for the business. I want to go into all of that. Um, we've been speaking beforehand, and it sounds like there's a bit of a story to tell about the whole whole journey for it as well, which I'm looking forward to getting into. Uh, but before we do all of that, Phil, tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey, and and most importantly, Zilo and what you what the business is doing.
1: Yeah, um, well, so I'm, I'm probably slightly older than the typical fintech startup entrepreneur. Um, but I came came up to the UK. I'm a Kiwi by uh, by accent, as you can probably tell. But I came up to the UK in 98. So many, many years ago. I was a banker, bank manager by trade um, in New Zealand, which didn't really count for anything when you arrived in the UK. Um and I ended up working uh, for my sins in the asset management industry, um, dealing with uh, call centre telephony. And originally Threadneedle, when they became Threadneedle, and and uh, they they had about half a million customers that had um, they migrated into this new wonderful brand called Threadneedle, and forgot to tell people uh, too much about it in their correspondence. So everyone tried to ring and um, melted the, the phone system down. So I was thrown in as a naive Kiwi, but um, with with problem solving skills, I think, to 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 resolve all of that and sort of work my way through the asset management industry over many years. Um, I was always entrepreneurial in nature. So I, I left, um, uh, well, I helped, helped actually start co-funds when I was at Threadneedle. I wrote the original plan around that. Okay. Uh, uh, many years ago, uh, and then sort of uh, helped refinance something called EMEXCO, which was a market initiative. Um, like an, uh, It's an order routing network, but think of it like a transaction network um, for B2B for the players. And, and we sort of refinanced that when I was at Threadneedle, and then moved on to help set up inside investment, and finally decided to go Start my own business, and one of which you know, businesses, one of which was Calistone, which which is obviously as you know, Toby did pretty well and was sold to Carlisle uh, a couple of years back for over three hundred million. Um, and that was a fabulous business. It was a very simple premise too of, of connectivity. You know, back then the cost of running a fund transaction, I think, was around six pounds fifty. Yeah, and uh, a single order, and and so we put a proposition in the market which. Um, was half the price, and and you know we we slowly but surely um, gathered gathered the UK and and global markets. So Calso today um, is I think the largest order routing network for funds in the world. Outside it's been of a great story, hasn't it? it? Has and and Julian the CEO and the team have done a brilliant job. I think um, they're trying to move it all towards blockchain. How is
0: it? How is it seen that sort of baby taken on? Because that's a that's never an easy play, is it?
1: No, it's not. It's it's um so so I was never uh, I, I was the founder of it or co-founder, but but Kevin, two two gentlemen, Kevin Leonie and Tato were the guys that you, you will also remember that that ran it originally and, and sort of took it on. And so I kind of was in and out of the business. And you, it's always good being the creative ideas, but but there are great people that actually built that business and 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 executed on that. And I think that's always Probably for me, being something that's really important is is not only to think of great ideas as an entrepreneur, but actually to have a brilliant team and great people around mm-hmm. you that can execute through. So it's it's lovely to see Calistone being successful. Um, I'm, I have no interest in it anymore. I'm fully exited, but um, you know it's 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 great. They're they're trying to evolve, trying to move through the marketplace. Lots of exciting things happening. Um, lots of challenges for them with the world of distributed ledgers and whether they can build a market infrastructure around that. But, but <clears throat> again, I think they're in the right space. They've just mm. got to be good at execution, you know,
0: and that leads you to uh, leads you to Zylo.
1: Yeah. So I kind of, I left Calistone and spent a bit of time at IFDS where um, they, uh, they asked me to come in and and, and help them drive at innovation and, and large corporates really struggle with innovation as we know, So we sort of built a team. I call it an inside outside in approach. Just build a team outside and bring it in, uh, and then moved off to FNZ for a while um, before realizing in twenty twenty that or twenty nineteen when I was at FNZ that I really had one more thing. You know, one one level of purpose that I wanted to achieve in the industry, and and that was really to kind of bring the culmination of my twenty something years of. Knowledge and uh, I guess entrepreneurial, slightly maverick approach to to seeing if we could actually really get radical change from the ground up in the industry. So we set out to do that with Zylo, and Zylo was really all about. It's you know I will kind of we talk about transfer agency, but but most people won't understand what that is. But, but the core of the industry, everyone's book of red record and register and the sum of all their transactions sits inherently on technology, legacy technology that's end of life, that's more than 20 years old, uh, that is really um, badly structured uh, in terms of the data and, and poorly supported by the large players in the industry who are software companies. But nobody was making that change to radical new technology. And the reason is because most of those incumbent software firms and providers are uh you know deriving a significant amount of their revenues and profitability from from these legacies so there's no incentive mm-hmm. to change and actually why would you because you're going to disrupt your existing business it's just sort of straight out of the innovation rule book you know you don't disrupt mm-hmm. your existing market but we didn't have that uh obviously around us so we said well, we're going to start from from the ground up and that's probably slightly contrarian to a uh, to a normal, you know, startup where you kind of go, oh, we want to build a great digital experience and brilliant front ends and make customers really happy. We said, yeah, we want to do all of that, and that's really inherent and important to do. But actually, we need to fix the 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 ground, the 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 foundations, if you like, of the industry, which we saw as uh initially as transfer agency that that registered that book of record and bring that into a modern age so make it cloud-based microservice architecture same as the challenger banks um with with beautiful digital front ends digital only or digital first um and uh you, you know and take much of the cost and friction out of that software which has existed around our industry and, and multiple handoffs and reconciliations to different systems and engines because not because you have to but actually because you know your system's not good enough to 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 do it. Um, and so we we started Zydo. Um, and we were very lucky. You know we we spent a, a good year building what everyone calls a minimum viable product, spent a bunch of my money and investors' money. Uh, <laughs>
0: And the investors and, at the start was is, this is the seed round and friends and yeah, family. So,
1: you know the same thing. I mean the UK is brilliant at one level. of this, I think, in the this, the venture capital side is the sort of handing off from seed to to venture capital is a bit of a challenge. But but at the seed level, because of the tax structures with EIS um, incentives, then you, you know if you tap into the um, a number of the high net worth individuals, or, or um, you know, people that are on significantly good salaries, that want to invest in startups but don't want risk, and they want to minimise the downside. It's a fabulous mechanism, you know. Obviously, because I've been in the industry a long time, I was able to tap into a number of those people who, who, who knew me reputationally and, and were keen to support something I did. Um, and, and so we, yeah, you know, so we raised initial capital. Um, you know, thinking it's you gained some a couple of million initially in that, and then went through our first year. Um and then we uh, we started engaging with a custodian bank who came along and they invested in us. Um, and you'll know them anyhow as the first investor was City. Mm. Uh, and and so, you know, that that really kind of forced us into growing up very quickly because cause we we sort of talked to a number of parties before that and said look we can build the software we didn't kind of work out who we we're going to sell it to and then we realized well actually for us for xylo you know we see the custodian banks as kind of the gateways to the future of the industry because in times of turbulent markets people look for surety surety tends to mean you, you look towards the bank level of surety and and we felt that those custodian banks were really um providing a number of these services in the market when it came to transfer agency it was a poor cousin of everything else they were doing and yet they needed an integrated solution so so we felt that that was our path um, and and we you know we engaged and and that was that's been really really um well supported I think is mm. how it's
0: it's so important to get that sort of the you know the, the right people on board early, um, you know, from a customer perspective. That sort of have the you know are aligned in the mission of where you want to go. And I love the way you, know, I mean, you, you sort of very humbly sort of mentioned there about it being a, you know, a bit of luck in that sort of <laughs> that sort of play. But when you're when you're solving the right problems, luck tends to follow, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, and you know this anyhow because I'm sure you've done all these interviews and things. But but I, I always think of. Being a, a good entrepreneur requires probably three things, and one is yes, you've got to have a creative mind. Um, that sometimes is, uh, is also a negative, and as well as a positive, because your kind of mind can operate in slightly different ways to everyone else. Um, the creative mind is really important. The, the The second thing really is um, problem solving, and you know you've just got to be a good problem solver. And and even I mean Musk always talks about first principle in terms of breaking everything down to first principles. And I I think at a problem solving level, if you have an a inherent ability to to break issues down into complex issues into simple problems and then try and solve them through that, then that's kind of quite a gift. And sometimes it means you know, maybe you're more stupid than other people because you're not thinking at that detailed level, but actually. Sometimes enables you to kind of cut through a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think the third thing with an entrepreneur that you need, which again everyone knows, is resilience. And mm-hmm. um, resilience is is critical. I mean, it's it, you, we were saying before this that you know there's, it's it's kind of vibrant market. There's lots of venture capitalists wanting to engage and all of that. But kind of getting them to give you a term sheet is is about kind of I would characterise as about a third of the way through it. And then you've got to go through all the due diligence process, and you've got to negotiate through all the contracts and everything, and that's extraordinarily complex if you've got more than one party involved, and um, and and also different parties. For us, we had strategic They're
0: different agendas at various stages, well, as well, right.
1: And I mean, actually, the you know, I was really naive about this, Uh I, and I shouldn't be, but but I had a, I kind of came to me one night uh when we're. Watching the negotiations, kind of, you know, we we had the term sheet. We're we're all in our kind of uh, period where we should be sort of closing out all the contracts and stuff. And we're watching the literally the the deal fall apart. And I'm going, as I said to my then uh, my general counsel, and in-house lawyer, I said, I I don't know that there's anything more I can do here. And he said, Well, we'll sleep on it and we'll start again tomorrow. So that's the resilience thing. Is we just. Mm on, but the second thing that I then realised is, oh, hold on a second. There are I have venture capital on one side that are really driving about a business and an exit, and I have a strategic investors, more than one, on the other side who are really more interested in um, this supporting their future, right? And and that sometimes that can work, that can align. But actually, at the point we were negotiating, right there. Um, there wasn't an alignment, and so I had to go and find that alignment for the parties and say, "Look, I know you want this, and we're driving towards this, but but I also know you, as a strategic partner, you want that, and we're also, you know, so we we ended up bringing that together really well. I have to mm-hmm. say, it was it was painful, but you know, we 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 did that, and you know, lots of sleepless nights. I, I, I went away. Booked a, as you were saying, uh, I was saying to you, I booked a holiday with my family. I'm in New Zealand. So we're, I was heading out towards New Zealand for for Christmas. We wanted to spend two or three days in Phuket. Um, I thought the deal would be done and signed. We knew it, you know, we'd been working on it for months. And um, I got on the plane, you know, by the time I reached Phuket, the deal was going sideways. So so I ended up, while well, my family was out doing all the nice <laughs> things, 24 hours a day. On phone calls, I mean, I can even still feel that nauseous um, gripping. in <laughs> me. I don't get ang- anxious. I'm not one of these people that has uh, suffered from that, probably because I'm a bit sick. And, <laughs> and, but even then, it was gripping me. And we kind of went through that. We then, on our way out to my poor wife and kids, kind of having a holiday without me. Well, like, maybe that would make the poor probably happy. <laughs> We got on a they plane. loved
0: it they were the were <laughs> ones uh <scuppering> the deal <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah well, I said, there was lots of
1: why didn't you ever, why didn't you retire and i said well i did technically for about you know three <laughs> yeah so, good time yeah. um but the you know we, we got i got on a plane to um new zealand which was via singapore stopped over in singapore for an hour and a half uh phone turns on lights up like a christmas tree um more deal problems, going sideways, all parties phoning me, kind of literally screaming at me. Mm-hmm. Uh, tried to kind of put a Band-Aid over it um, as I got back onto the plane to go out to New Zealand on a 12-hour flight. Um, spoke to my chairman, who was exceptional, an exceptional individual, Gordon mm-hmm. Neely. Um, man- massively experienced and really calm. Oh, my God. You know That was probably one of the best things I've ever done is find him in my career and ask him, convince him to come and do the startup world, you, you know, from a massive kind of, uh, you know, corporate background, but but he just, he's just a rock. Um, and he said, look, don't worry, we've got this, we'll, we'll speak in New Zealand. So then a 12-hour flight, obviously, no speaking, nothing on that, get to New Zealand, the phone lights up again, and, and we're, we're back on it again for another 24 hours, I think. So we actually got the deal agreed literally the night before christmas and
0: that was so there's a a present for you
1: so but then you've got the entrepreneurs first right so everyone goes hey you must be so excited and you kind of go through this funk afterwards. yeah 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 where i said i should have been but you know what i was thinking about is all of 24 coming up what we've got to do i am excited i'm energized but but my mind just suddenly moves on to the next thing.
0: In the next I, think that's, I think that's a good thing, though, right, especially in in the position you're in. And we'll come on to 24 in a minute, but I'm really interested in this because I speak to so many people who've gone through this journey. And I think, you know, the this, this sort of mecca for people is to have the, the you know, it's, it's the glamour of a, of a Series A, a Series B, a Series C, all of this sort of stuff. But I speak to so many people, founders, who've gone through this sort of journey. And that people, I think, diminish the sort of, you know, the complexity of it. There's taking your eyes away from the business that you've been building and making sure you've got the infrastructure behind that for that business to run itself when it is so invested in that Series A and Series B. It's, as you say, that the, the sort of stress it takes on, on you from, you know, from a pretty chilled out guy from, from what I'm I'm taking so far. It's an incredible, you know, everyone I've spoken to has gone through those sleepless nights and, and the sort of last minute to and fro's and had holidays and families interrupted you know, from it. There's a human cost around that that sort of stuff to get it into that, that sort of phase. And quite often it's people who are going through it where, where the cash is essential to the survival of the business at the same sort of stage as well. So I think that's that sort of process of people understanding that journey and thinking about where it goes. Because you know, I mentioned to you beforehand, I had a fantastic conversation with three VCs at the start of this year talking about their optimism for the marketplace. And I yeah. think that it's a fantastic time for, for them for many reasons, but predominantly because it's a good time for them to be investing in businesses, valuation wise, et cetera, obviously at the same sort of time. So we know there's, we know there's powder in in the, uh, in, in, in the market at the moment and there's people there who want to invest in the right sort of things, but they're very, very clear that it's got to be in the right projects. So I want to talk to a little bit about you going through this sort of thing with VC and institutional investors at the same sort of time and making sure you're getting that right, because it's, yeah, it's a process there where I'm sure you kissed a lot of frogs. Um, you mentioned before we came on air talking about it not being the first rodeo, etc. But at the same sort of time, it's all it's always slightly different um, in every set of time you go through it. From having, you know, everything with Carlisle, which I can imagine is super complex, to where you are at the moment with with no less complexity, but even more odds on it. So to, you know, so to speak, at the same sort of time, tell me a little bit. For yeah, you know, they were they were talking about what they look for in. A company they're going to invest in, and and generally it's about the people and the found the you know, the founder and the products and the market size and the area that they're in, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think that to to get it right from a founder perspective, to say right, who am I looking for, as opposed to just the money, but who am I looking for? How did you go through that sort of process, and and what was important to you in that in that part of the decision making?
1: So so we we um we hired a um, venture capital. Uh, a corporate finance firm and that was uh Perella Weinberg Partners. And so I was sort of um not favoring that idea initially, but my chairman Gordon again said, look, we need support. And now now Zilo's a business. Just, just,
0: just quickly, why why didn't you why did you not favor it?
1: Because I thought like it's not my first rodeo, right? Like yeah. I, you know, I know all the VCs want to at some level talk to me you know, not not because i'm anything great but but just i've been around so yeah, yeah at least it's,
0: good, at, it's a good cv right
1: yeah and if you're a known quantity at a level right so they you're already in some sort of box that they have and yeah. and well i can talk to the vcs We've quite kind a of, kind of one of the things with Xylo, which was really important because of the nature of when we finally decided in 21 that we wanted to go after kind of core custodian banks we said oh my god we can't do this as a typical startup with you know bootstrapping it with four four people and finding people that we have to have a really strong leadership executive team around the business massively experienced people and and i guess the the great thing, I'll, I'll come to the, the what you're talking about, for us was I was able to attract those from people that I've worked with across the industry and lots of different lives. Uh, and those people were very senior, like Andy Wilson, who's deputy CEO, came out of State Street, like really senior position there. Not a typical entrepreneur, but but massively experienced in dealing with corporate uh you know organizations really structured really and, and just brilliant and the sales and revenue and all of that. so so we you know Chris Northwood who's worked with me for the last 15, 20 years you know so so we've had great great people, Brian Smith who I brought out of um, well originally I brought from from America uh, when he was at DST and and I was at IFDS and managed to reconnect with him. Um, when he was at ss and and get them across. So we, we built a really... You got, the dream, you got the dream team. It was a dream team, but it's expensive, right? So even we can put <laughs> these people out and, you know, they're, they're not, um, you know, a number of them have done well through life. So, you know, the houses and mortgages kind of mostly paid off, I guess. But But so they could sacrifice. Right, they could sacrifice some salary for equity or for 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 a run at an upside or for the for the dream journey, and that was really important. But nevertheless, they're still expensive. They're not, mm. you know. And so the costs of that mean you're going to burn more cash and capital early on. And when I started talking to the venture capitalists, I realised that they were going, well, you've got you've got quite a big team here. You know, it's twelve strong, thirteen strong as an executive. you know, It's quite a big leadership team. It's really expensive. And and I said, Yeah, but in order to get past the, the the bank in terms of being approved on their list, you've got to have resilience, you've got to have all of the the risk assessments, you've got to have everything buttoned up. And we need great people. Why do you need a general counsel? Well, actually that's really important because one of our biggest peers then tried to 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 do some pretty silly stuff against us. So so we we you know we we did um all of these were great things. But when you then sit down with a venture capitalist, you kind of then start to go, well, they run through almost a checklist, I think. Mm-hmm. and you know, well, Do we fit in this quadrant? Oh, we like the entrepreneur, the founder. He's got a big background. And he's got a great team. And what about the proposition? For us, because we said banks, then, you know, I think the venture capitalists tend to look at, okay, so what are the revenues? And that's fine. What are the clients you've got? And like how many in a volume? And we said, well, we've got one client. Mm -hmm. They said, one client. <laughs> well, it's a global bank. yeah. But, but so what? Well, they've got 50, 40 or 50 asset managers underneath, which is who we are directly servicing. Yeah, but it's one client. Yes, but the typical lifespan of that relationship is 10 to 15 years, right? Like this is a once-in-a-generation move of asset. Mm. Not a small amount of asset, but billions of dollars and trillions of dollars of asset. And, um, you know, yeah, but it's still one client. Um uh, and so for us then we it just can, didn't
0: didn't compute at all.
1: No. Uh it, look, they got it. They loved it. All the VCs, you know, I mean they would say they love it, but they all loved it. And but they're all if I look through all of the feedback, it's always about, oh yeah, but you know, you're not early because we had a signed contract, we were, we we're live we literally lit, lit the point live, which we did in July. Um, and that was with six or seven billion dollars of assets. So it's not a small Small go live, um, and a very large global asset manager on top of the bank, underneath the bank. So, so, but they still struggled to kind of get their heads around that proposition. It's a B2B space. And that's where we found portage and fidelity, but but it was really through Perella that, that helped us. And they got our pitch. The other thing was really important with that, and, and they don't get me wrong, and those corporate finance houses that cost a bunch of money, and mm. you kind. You know, you do chop off half your arm, um, and you're constantly asking yourself, "Am I getting valued?" But actually, in terms of shaping the deck and the materials, the plan, the all of that, and the preparation, and then you know those negotiations, I think that was they did a really good job for us. So, and that, so think, and that was
0: always Gordon's sort of uh, view, was it that, that you needed that to to do it right?
1: Yeah, we we were we were like massively busy too, right? Like, so yeah, yeah. We, we're onboarding you know, $6 billion, $7 billion of asset, right? Yeah. Thousands of customers going live, you know, existential threat to probably one of the largest players in the industry who tries to do all sorts of nefarious things to to stop us going live and and spreading stuff around the industry and things, really awful. And sometimes you really question the integrity of some of these yeah. uh, uh, corporates and software firms when they do stuff like that. But But, you know if you think of it they they we are an existential threat we're a disruptor yeah uh, and a disruptor to their biggest clients potentially so um so so you know we're we're in there doing kind of going going crazy and hard and and I think you mentioned it the second part is when you start into that process that series a it's a lot higher to- and other yeah it's a lot harder than a seed raise a seed raise is kind of you can do it on the fly with a series A you suddenly have to put a team aside and you know there's heavy due diligence and, and that's just to get the term sheet right so they do all this stuff and they give you the term sheet then you've got to adhere to the term sheet then you negotiate all the long form and stuff but but on top of that you know um they do more extensive due diligence and that's really deep due diligence it's kind of almost forensic and they look through our code base, they look through our finances and through everything. No, no stone, I think, has, was left unturned. Mm. And, um, you know, we came out really, really well through that, which was quite interesting. The feedback is of all the Series A businesses, yeah. you know, that they've done, we're probably at the highest uh, quadrant in terms of terms of the quality of our technology and the proposition, the team, all those sorts of things. But it was still like getting through the eye of a needle. So mm. i no matter how good and how experienced I am at doing it, I mean the Calistone the thing for me was more than when we raised the funds for Excel, which was Series A, rather than Carlyle the exit because I wasn't involved in that. But the Excel stuff was, and that was, you know, a much a much smoother process. But again, Calistone is a very simple proposition, whereas Xylo is kind of uh, much broader. Mm. Um, and, and you know there is now, you know, in Calistone, there really wasn't that much com- competition, innovation. It was just existing providers. Now everyone's trying to talk about DeFi, you know, blockchain market infrastructures, or, or this. We're trying to build a transfer agency system that has fund accounting. That's all part of a market infrastructure and things. Mm. And we were very clear initially we were going to build in the MVP Zylo as a blockchain uh, solution or a hybrid solution. And then we realized that actually um, to build a market infrastructure isn't in our wheelhouse because we think that the market infrastructures come out of these custodian banks and things rather than um you know startup fintechs trying to create them because it's there's, there's the no matter how good the technology is, the adoption is 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 going to be the enormous challenge. And and so we said, well, look, we should build like a technology play like a challenger bank so or netflix <laughs> mm. so the microservice architecture full cloud-based modern and you know i mean our competition's still stuck in data centers for the most part yeah. their own. they can't do cloud um i had an argument with one of my former employers where he said we've got an api set and i said that's just i'm sorry you, you that's fiction you know you're publishing all this stuff in the industry how great you are but but actually you don't even have you don't have an api set, you know um and you don't have a gateway to those systems and and so is very different and all of yeah.
0: that yeah and it creates that sort of very really interesting i mean you mentioned it as well there that, that you know that with the with the effort it takes to get you know to to the full time job of actually getting through that series a and whilst you said look it's a, you know it's a it's an experienced team you're still talk, not talking about a massive team to be running everything that you're talking about there in the business at the same sort of stage that is a lot of pressure on across the entire business right
1: yeah well like with two things yeah so just to be really clear and i'm quite transparent we were on fumes
0: yeah yeah well it sounds it like from your travel travel story already going up to christmas eve right
1: i've had to inject my own money into the businesses and a number of our people on multiple occasions right yeah. so that, that's also the one thing is whenever you think that the timeline is, if someone tells you you can do it in three months, it's six. Yeah, if yeah. they tell you to do it in six, it's nine or 12. Yeah, so, yeah. so I think the timelines are long and you, 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 you know, you need to have the cash runway to cope with the timelines and, and also certainly
0: longer in 23 as well, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, and also the massively and the runway to cope with the black swans that that come up in the market. I always, um, you, you know, um. Ziglu was a classic business, which was before Zio. it was a cryptocurrency business that we started, and and we had Robinhood, which which is in the market, came out and wanted to buy that, and and uh, I think it was around twenty one or something or twenty two, and um, for one hundred eighty million dollars, I think it was, it, you know, it was a great kind of exit play uh, that was not the, the purpose, and and in that then the crypto market crashed and and that and. The Robin Hood stepped away from the deal and suddenly the business, which before that was well-funded, now was in a sort of existential crisis because yeah. their, you know, the, the exit route had sort of vaporized and we had to then try and figure out what to do next. And that was real, really problematic. So for Zylo, one of the things we did a lot of was a lot of thinking, a lot of strategic thinking of okay, so this is great. You know, we're going to have, we've got these two great venture capitalists. I mean, Fidelity, amazing. What a great, brilliant name. And Absolutely. It's
0: right? And, every, and, and everyone who I speak to have gone through that as well has has brilliant things to say as well.
1: Uh, well, look, I mean, they were hard, right? So just to be really, really clear, they're, they're hard negotiators. They put that, but James Devlin and Alokic, they know their stuff. They know the industry. So you can't kind of, wing it or bullshit to them because they actually know and they go off, look it up. And and so they were really good, right? Um, because they drove drove us at a at a solid state. Portage, really good. Juliet um who who's in there was was doing it with Adam Faleski, Adam's the CEO. I mean, you know, he understands transfer agency, understands the financial services industry, being involved in the UK. So, again, really important. Cool. And then we had these strategic guys, the strategic players with uh, City and, and State Street, and that, you know, they were, um, you know, they're driving it a, a, a different, like I said, is a different purpose, but still aligned with our business. And now, our, our we were a bit different, right? So the the difference was, I said to everyone, is that, and, and not just as an aspiration, because everyone says, "Oh, hey, we want to kind of go and list this," and and I said, "Look, I, I've I've bought and sold, bought and sold, I've created and sold a number of businesses along the way. Most exits from venture uh, partners or exits from from startups are uh, typically if, if the business doesn't run out of money." Um, tend to be trade sales. Now, I can't yeah. remember what. is a huge amount. But I said, I don't want to do that. I don't need to do that. I, I, if I, What I want to do is create a business that's going to last and not become part of something else and just get sucked up. And and then, you know, people go, well, what was that? I'll remember that 10 years ago. So to mm-hmm. create something of longer value that I can step away from and other great people, not, not great, uh, greater people can can take forward. So we want to list this business we want to, and, and provide a return to investors through a market listing, preferably, you know, I guess in the US rather than the UK for all sorts of reasons. Mm. But but we set our stall out of that. And when we sat down with the VCs, we said, look, this is the first principle for us is there are, we will get lots of offers. You will get that. But we're probably going to tell you no on a constant basis because This is our vision. We want to do this by, you know, 28, 29. And and so we have a lot of things to do along the way, but we're going to set the business like that. So as we come into that, it's part of our our, our DNA. And that was a big... um, Now, getting the strategic investors to align with that was probably easier because they said, actually, that's great because we don't want you to be owned by someone else. That's Mm. for us. The venture capitalists kind of want to get quick exit sometimes but they all bought in, and they all bought into that that vision they may tell me differently in 12 months time but <laughs> uh, but but you know that was that's the first principle so we kind of laid that out and i think that really helped then cement the way that we're we're operating
0: and here you get with it from there so you mentioned 24 and and you know the immediate sort of uh yeah i, I think that's so fascinating it's like the the uh everyone talks about the gold medal slump afterwards isn't it when you you have the olympic cycles for four years and then you uh you win your gold medal and you're not fulfilled afterwards and you have that sort of weird depression that that comes after it so i think yeah when you when you've raised 25 million pounds and everyone's thinking of this euphoric party popping moment and uh the champagne courts going there's actually a very different sort of thing where it's now and this is the entrepreneur's mindset all over isn't it now looking forward and saying right what's next and where are the problems and where yeah, rather than in, enjoying the moment so talk to me a little bit about and i know it's exciting i know there's a lot that's that's uh that's coming up tell me a little bit about what 2024 looks for you and i and you mentioned there i love the whole th- thought of legacy and building something that isn't just uh this sort of transient thing that gets flipped out flipped over tell me what what the vision is for you yeah so well there's there's a number of kind of if i unpicked that probably a
1: number of different different things but 2023 20, for us was going live for the first major client proving the solidity of the platform the capability so we're live in the UK with um the, the all of this this client and that's been in stable production it's going really well we're really happy with that um still doing lots of development releases on, on that. 24 for us is as we extend now across global markets. So it's a, it's a core thing that differentiates us apart from cloud and microservices is that it is a truly single code base. So we're not having a separate version for 20, Was one client, uh, one client, one business that i worked for had said they had a single code base and they had 22 versions. Um, is is we, we are developing from a single core application. And that, Presents enormous complex problems in in engineering, like right? because you've got clients that want different things, but but if you manage your way through that, then what I always think is as you get to a point of scale in a business, which is beyond 24, is the business can grow and gather asset. And 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 get more profitable over time. A lot of these corporates become less profitable over time. I think I always call it diseconomies of scale, and and where these multiple code bases and now then become technology debt and legacy. So so they don't reduce their costs. They actually increase their costs and. But they hide that through through buying other businesses and all sorts of things. But for us, we said we want to be pure. We are a software firm. We don't want to run the software ourselves. We'll run the infrastructure, but we, we don't do ops. That's not our, our kit bag. We're, we're great engineers. 60-something percent of our team, which is 100 strong, is, is, is our engineers, mm. technologists, actually co-writers. And so for twenty four for us is is uh, we're expanding into Ireland and Luxembourg markets. So that gives us a global footprint, and then we'll move towards the US. So, the
0: south, the south or the north of Ireland. Uh, so Dublin, yeah, Dublin. Okay, yeah, yeah.
1: So, so it's not the we're not people there more as we build. Oh, can't. okay, yeah. All the fund structures for those markets, which gives you all the offshore ranges. Got to- you. Yeah, yeah. It opens uh, accessibility to beyond the UK market to trillions of asset, and yeah. for us it's then about moving assets. So we're we're I think we're very good at winning customers. I think people see us as authentic. They see us as honest, which is really important. We're very transparent. We tell you where we are. We tell you where we have capability in the product and where we don't. But we tell you when we're going to get it. And um, sometimes that's 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 rare in financial services. <laughs> Um, and so I think there's a degree. It's one of the things I probably have hung my career on. I mean, it's not a career. My, my thing is that level of um, integrity. I think for me, if I agree something with you, I'll I'll do everything I can to to keep to that, even if it means that I personally suffer. Mm. And I've always done that. I think it's a, just as part of. Um, and sometimes that's a stupid thing because you end up losing a lot more than what you 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 know you, you could have had but but at least you sleep well right so um and I've always been like that so so I think that for turned me out,
0: turned out alright in the end
1: yeah, it's just to sort of honour those commitments. So if we make a commitment to a client, then we do, and, and we we always say actually, I don't know that the VC's like this, but, but we do say we say we overinvest in relationships and and our customers, and and that means we will spend more than than normal to go the extra mile to do the things that they need, even if it means it's sometimes at our personal cost. Um, but but twenty four for us is is product across those markets. Uh, and um, globalizing that and moving assets. So we've got the clients. We're now, um, part of it is you can have the world's greatest tech, but what we're talking about is moving trillions of dollars of asset from legacy, uh, um, you know, infrastructures and technology onto silo over the next five years in a way the industry has never seen. Mm. And So we're very good on migration and how we tool our way through all of that massively capable, massively important to us and also to take risk out for those clients. So the reason there's the historic inertia has not been about price ironically because it's expensive these old systems. It costs the asset management industry a lot of money to run these because they're they're they're, char- they're paying too much money for them. but but the risk of moving it traditionally is you know is, is, and the cost of moving has been huge. But now we're able to do that in a different scale because of artificial intelligence, because of all of that. I mean, we're, you know, we're really strong on those, that capability migration. We're also strong on uh, blockchain and artificial intelligence capability within the Mm. engineering practice. So it's one of the things we've invested in really early on. Um, And that's not just about changing operational processes with a bit of AI, it's it's actually how we engineer, how we do everything, how we transform our organization internally to using AI for for our business. That that so the entire organization is using AI with its versions of uh, it's actually our own version um, built on top of ChatGPT four or Anthropic so uh, or you know Claude. But but so so we're yeah. Yeah, and it's huge. But I mean, I was really disappointed, I have to say, anecdotally, when the IA comes out last year with a paper um, about um, distrib- you know, uh, DeFi infrastructures and, and blockchain and, and asset tokenization. Really good stuff, right? Really important, massively important for the industry. And says, Oh, yeah, but, and the next thing we're going to do is AI, but we'll come to it in 24, 25 or something. I'm like, Are you, are you missing the, do you not see this? And it's the way how um, Musk describes that there's there's a kind of a flat plane of people who kind of have an understanding of AI and then there are these spikes of the people that really look yeah. at the technology level and understand. I think we're in those spikes because we've seen it. We've seen AI writing code for us and AI talking to a uh, one AI talking to another AI and when you see that and you bring that to life you go well, this this stuff is I mean it's really cool yeah and I don't think it's um, a threat to humanity or jobs I mean I think it would change its jobs
0: but it's that's exactly the point right it, it's a it's a it's a switch
1: it's the greatest productivity increase uh, that probably we are going to see since the birth of the internet yeah and if we, if the UK, and I mean, ironically is the key, word, but if the UK PLC kind of gets on top of this and adopts it, then, you know, it's really gonna boost productivity and capability.
0: Um, which, is, which is at the key of of every, you know, if you look at global productivity and it's decline over the last 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. It's it's screaming out for it. And so so you're, you're so right. I think look, there isn't a conversation or a person I speak to who hasn't got AI on the agenda but the people yeah. there who are actually genuinely using AI in its proper form, which isn't just about Boolean searching, whatever it may, it may be, or doing little bits and pieces, but it's it's fascinating to see that yeah, you know, where where people are actually genuinely seeing the transformation opportunity within it, and and that makes it very exciting to me. When
1: you look at Zylo and you do the math on our type of business and stuff with the in the business plan. You know, we we we're a hundred odd people. I think we were at um, in, in theory you know um our we should top out some this year around 170 so it's still a long big recruitment cycle and then you know in some subsequent years as we continue to scale if if we meet our plan we should be 350 400 strong organization and that I can promise you now Zala will never be an organization beyond 150 people yeah. and that's because we will um engineer through AI and our business through that where we will be just um, hyper-efficient and um, I think that's that's massively important not it's I'm less concerned about profitability because that you know that, that that comes but more about the quality of and the speed of which we can move through code and product and deliver great product and capabilities to our customers and on a continuing uh, basis. So, you know, it's um, it's good, but it does change. AI changes the nature of engineering, the nature of, you know, you, you, the, the people you need mm. now, um, people that really understand product, that understand the Subject SME subject matter experts then understand that and are able to articulate that so that it can be then prompted through through a set of AI.
0: I think um, I think the uh, the role of the 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 you know, sort of product specialist, the product manager, and and um, CPO is is without question being one of the fastest growing sort of areas that we've seen in in the last you know, five years or so, and I think it's going to continue to be of more and more importance. And I was having I was speaking to a partner at EY yesterday. A financial services partner banking partner who was who was um mentioning to me you know we, we sort of discussed the whole uh netflix uh, uh concept of talent density and making sure that you've got lean teams who are overperforming where they went and and i think they learned that uh, netflix during the dot-com bubble uh the very sort of start of their their journey and actually sort of have made themselves yeah you know, productive and efficient because of that sort of mentality so I th- yeah i absolutely agree look it's amazing what you can get and productivity is, has got to be at the center of where people are thinking their businesses can go further forward right it's
1: it's it's probably the um it's a really interesting kind of uh topic in its own right about people and high performance and stuff i mean i hired um as our chief of staff was a guy called anton oliver who's the All black guy. Yeah, yeah 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 and um you know it, and the reason is yes he's got asset management experience and he's a super bright guy but actually he also has experience in what high-performing teams are. And and there's a whole lot of, um, I'm not sure if they're virtues, but a whole lot of things that come with that that you need to have culturally in that. And part of that is open and honest transparency and, um, you know, that sort of culture. Um, And, and, you know, we're still, yes, we've got Series A money, but that's got to last us, right? So we, we, you know, we can't go and out hire, just throw buckets of cash at people and things. So they have to buy into our culture. And and there is a kind of a um, you, you know, there's different extremes. There's the what before Musk right, Twitter culture, which I think was was really kind of warm and fuzzy, let's say mm. um great environment, great people. And then probably the SpaceX culture, which is more um uh let's, let's Very say obsessive. Kind of- <laughs> Yeah, well, there's a word I, which I like actually called urgent intent, or two words, urgent intensity. And and I think for us as, as, as a business right now, we have to focus on that because we need to to move fast. We need to do things well. I don't, although we are working with corporates and we have to be very corporate and have a long really strong governance, it's not what I don't want as a business that, that you know, uh, makes decisions by committees because that's... The first way to shoot an um, innovation company in the head, mm. and so people, what we try and do with all of our people is we've a very flat structure, um, and and we we move to uh, zone management, right? So four zones. Jeffrey Moore talked about this in terms of zone structures. So one of the things I looked at was. Um, and I'm an uneducated guy, but I read. So, um, but what I looked at was uh, Jeffrey Moore's kind of writing on all of those zones and how you get innovation on a constant basis by moving to these four types of zones. So we have basically our grow revenues and 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 clients, um, core services, uh, labs, which is innovation, and and then product, and they all run almost independently. So it's cross-functional. Um, mm. But, and then, you know, that, getting those, and, and they basically challenge each other very strongly. So so that was really important to get that intensity. And then we've got to kind of drive in a really focused way and stuff. So we, we were trying to hire someone the other day, and and it's quite interesting, and they asked us for... Uh, they, they'd been off... Actually, didn't ask. They'd been... And they went to another employer, and they uh, were offered, like... A number of days a year to um paid by the employer to focus on charitable work and stuff, which you know, I've, I've you know, I was part of the big exchange or the big issue group, so I'm kind of all in for all of that, but I don't see it as a corporate or a company's uh purpose to do that. If people want to do that, they should do that, and if the company wants to do it as a company, then it should do that. But right now, for us, and I was challenged by the team, well, can't we do that? And I'm like, guys, we don't have time, mm. Mm. that's time poor, right? We have this much development to get into that much time and so we we are all in. We're, mm. we're, we're the culture of urgent intensity but that's mm. not in a um, vicious way so we have to treat our people really well and, and do all of the right things but there'll be a time when we can afford to do that but that's probably when we're not using investors' money, when we're generating our own cash and profitability mm. Mm. and uh i
0: love but, that i think it's so it's so fascinating and this is something which i'm very passionate about for, for you know full stop uh i can talk to you for a long long time on another date about all, all, all of that sort of thing and i've done i've also realized i've done a horrible job about keeping this to half an hour, half, <laughs> half, half an hour. and it's and, and i'm pleased that we haven't because it's been a it's, it's been a conversation i could be having for ages but i i know i should um start to uh to, to wrap things up for you so phil One wonderful story in terms of where you're going really excited to see where you're going and there's so much more this has definitely got episodes two and three that we need to follow follow up with at the same time but tell tell me look, people have been listening to this and people are going to be fascinated I know um, I know who listens to this I know people who 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 I'm speaking to there's going to be loads of people who who are really keen to find out more about what you're doing from a professional point with with Zyla itself but also from your journey and such like what's the best way for them to get in touch with you and, and hear more about the business?
1: um so look the best way is to contact us i mean i'm on linkedin um people do that pretty often it's sometimes pretty hard to respond um if people want to contact them you know just go off the website to xylo um there's all our contact details there so they can they can you can get to me (laughs) Um, they'll
0: they'll find you they'll find you somehow
1: yeah I'm not I'm not far not never far from the website or anywhere so yeah like that's we're, we're very accessible so if people want to talk and stuff we I always believe um rightly or wrongly you know what experience we've had I'm happy to share I'm happy to give back if people need help uh you know that's 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 paying it forward um
0: when you've got time when you got time well that's always that's the <laughs> that's the
1: rub right but but look yeah we're we're very accessible
0: and it's very exciting as well listen I wish you the very best of luck congratulations I do hope you managed to enjoy it a little bit over in New Zealand when you're there for yeah, Christmas no, and no. the
1: weather was great and then you kind of the the brutality of the being in New Zealand is not when you're there because it's slow and it's quiet and it's wonderful and you know even when they say the beaches are full it's like you're going where's everyone but then we 17 hours back to dubai two-hour layover in dubai and seven hours to london sort of straight or six seven hours straight flight so you end up in london and the it's time of day. yeah so it's a week of um well actually the great thing was i was in the gym at 4am every morning <laughs>
0: Well, look, I'm, glad, I'm so pleased to hear it all going so well. I love hearing the story. Love. I've, I've been scribbling notes here as you've been talking, which I'm going to be uh, stealing as my own. Urgent intensity is definitely something there, which, you, which my team are going to be hearing a lot more about as well. But, uh, Phil, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for joining us today, and I wish you the very best of luck.
1: You're welcome, man. thanks. Thanks for having
0: thanks. me. Absolute pleasure. And thank you all for watching. We will see you soon on another episode of FinTech Focus TV. Thanks a lot.